Hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. This is the show for Let's talk about the tax benefits of real estate. We're going to go deep on that in this show with our guest, Heidi Henderson. We're going to talk about the tax benefits, specifically around depreciation and cost segregation, words with many syllables. But we're going to explain how and why there are tax benefits that you can take advantage of your real estate. So that's what's in store for you today. As a reminder, we have Dealmaker Live tickets. We are still in super early bird pricing. General admission is, is just under $300. The price is going to go up. We'd love to have you there. It's going to be June 2nd through 4th at the Hilton Anatol. Grab your tickets now. Okay. A lot of you guys keep waiting like the last week when the tickets are substantially more. Get them now. Lock them in. All right. And that's going to be June 2nd through 4th in Dallas. And that is at dealmakerliveevent.com is where you can grab those tickets. Also, a shout out to CAMB on Apple iTunes, who left us a review for, for the show. Great show. I listened to my first show recently and thought it was great. And I'll be listening to more episodes to learn more from it. Thanks, Cam, for leaving us that review. If you enjoy the show, leave us a review on iTunes as well. We'd always love to see those. And with that, let's get our co-host here on the show. Garrett Lynch, what's going on? What's going on, Michael? So we talk a lot about uh, tax benefits on the show here. And one of the things we're doing right now, which is very exciting, is we're actually doing, uh, we're exiting a couple deals and we're doing some tax deferred strategies. Talk about what we're, what we're able to do for our investors there. Yeah. So it's really exciting, actually. We're, we're doing a uh, what's called a drop and swap 1031 exchange, where we actually give investors the option to take their funds, their profits on some investors. You can take your profits if you want when we exit the deal, or those that want to stay and get into the next deal with a tax-deferred strategy called 1031 Exchange can participate in that. So we, we basically ballot everybody. And if you say, yes, you want to stick around, we 1031 you to the next deal. And if you say no, then we just when we sell, we just cut you a check and you can do whatever you want with it. So it's a really cool thing that we've uh, been able to navigate. Not all groups are doing it, but we figured out how to make it happen. And uh, we can't wait to use this strategy in the future. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's a bit technical. And uh, like you said, a lot of syndication groups aren't doing it because it's a little more complicated and kind of a pain too. But the cool thing is you can get into real estate, you get some bonus depreciation, you're getting gains, you're not paying taxes on that. And then we, you can use a variety of tax strategies to further gain even further into the next deal and so on and so forth. It's not required, but like you said, some of our investors, a majority actually are going to do it, which is really cool. This allows us to now defer taxes even further. And we're going to get really good at this. So theoretically, if you keep investing with us, you're never paying taxes, which is really cool. So we want to talk about that. We want to understand the mechanics of depreciation and cost segregation. And today on our show, we have Heidi Henderson. She's an executive vice president and a board member of Engineered Tax Services, the largest specialty tax engineering firm. And uh, she's very authoritative on the matter. And let's get right into the show here with Heidi Henderson. Heidi, welcome to the show today. Hey, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to see you again. Yeah. So we often talk about real estate as having unique and extraordinary tax advantages over things such as stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, Bitcoin, gold. What are some of those unique tax advantages that real estate has? 
Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. A lot of times when I have conversations with investors and they start to learn about the tax advantages, it's like, wait, that, that can't be, that can't be right. That it's too good to be true. And then they're thinking, well, it must be that I'm able to write off certain things based on what I put down on the property. So here's the thing. You can go into commercial real estate as an investment property, and we're allowed to take depreciation. And, and just kind of going way back, you know, really starting at the ground level, depreciation is ultimately saying that a building and its components have a certain useful life. The IRS says they'll last a certain period of time. And so they'll allow you to actually take a write-off, which is depreciation, a write-off of those assets as they're essentially being used up. So they're failing over time. Let me ask you about that because it's obviously a useful life is of a house is far greater than two or three or whatever decades, right? Why does the government give you or real estate investors a tax incentive? Like, do you have a theory? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. So this is the way you have to think about it. Yes, a property, let's call it a rented house. We would think would last longer than this 27 and a half years in which we get to depreciate it. So we're writing it off. And in theory, in 27 and a half years, it has zero value. And you think, what? why? The interesting thing is, I, I don't actually know who came up with that period of time, 27 and a half years. It's 39 years for commercial buildings, but residential is 27 and a half years. If you think about it, if you honestly did buy a building and you did nothing to it, literally nothing, you don't replace the roof, you don't replace windows, you don't replace floors or HVAC or anything for 27 and a half years, it likely has little to no value. It's probably leaking. The roof is leaking. The walls are now damaged. The insulation sheetrock's crappy. The floor is awful. The appliances are dead. So that's actually what it is that you know, we think, well, in 27 and a half years, of course, this is still going to have value. But in reality, we're having to do improvements ongoing. We have to replace our HVAC and our air conditioning and our water heaters and our roofs and, and all of those things to really keep it functional. So that is the period of time that the IRS says, if you did nothing to this property, it would actually be pretty poor condition and have very little value at the end of that period of time. All right. Okay. I, I understand from a practical value, it says this house will no longer be worth anything if you do nothing. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, I think the U.S. is one of the very few countries in the world that gives you tax incentives that are so extraordinary called depreciation. How does it work in a practical matter? So I have a house, townhouse, rental property, whatever. How does depreciation work really? Yeah. So how it works is, it's a great question because sometimes we have people say, well, I don't really even know what, what is depreciation. So let's just use an example. We're going to go buy a rental property. We're going to use this Airbnb for $500,000. And that $500,000, we're going to put 20% down. So we're going to put $100,000 down on this house. We're going to leverage or go get a mortgage for the remaining $400,000. The amazing thing is that $500,000 is our investment. We purchased the house or agreed to purchase the house for that amount, even though we only came out of pocket for $100,000. The depreciation of that asset, we have to take an amount out for land because land actually does not wear out. So we take a piece out for that. Let's just say that's $100,000. We have $400,000 that we can take depreciation on. So we depreciate that. And what depreciation is, is you have your income. So let's say you've got $200,000 of income this year. You have a certain amount of depreciation. We'll use a round number and call it 25,000 of depreciation to, to make it easy. The depreciation reduces your income. 
So if I have $200,000 of income and I'm paying 37% income tax, state and federal income taxes on, on that 200,000, my depreciation is going to reduce that. So with 25,000 of depreciation, I now have $175,000 of income instead of 200. So that's where I'm saving taxes is it's the difference or that spread of what the percentage is that I pay in tax. Gotcha. And I guess let me know where I can buy a house for $500,000 and make $200,000. We'll save that for another show. But yeah. uh, <laughs> so, okay. So, so depreciation basically reduces your taxable income. Mm -hmm. And so then there's thing uh, that called bonus depreciation. What yeah. is, sounds, it sounds like an extra, like a, you know, bonus, but what is bonus depreciation versus, I guess, just regular depreciation? Yeah. So bonus depreciation is something that we've had bonus depreciation for many, many, many years. And what it is, is incentive. It, it's ultimately an incentive to drive business owners of any type to essentially buy things. So if we buy things, we're driving the economy, right? We're, we're buying goods, we're buying services, we're paying taxes. There's, there's all this stuff happening in the economy. So when we have bonus depreciation, it's encouraging business owners to go out and actually, instead of sitting on their money in stocks and bonds or other things, we really want to encourage and incentivize people to go out and actually spend money. Would you please go buy something? <laughs> it makes our economy better. And so bonus depreciation actually changed in 2017. And for the first time, said that it will now apply to any used property, which means anything, even if it's used for real estate in this discussion, that means any existing property. If you go out and buy it, if there's anything within that purchase that has a useful life that is shorter than 20 years, you can take the whole deduction immediately. You don't have to take it over 20 years. So that includes something that might be five years, seven years, 15 years, 20 years, Bonus depreciation at 100% allows you to just write all of that off immediately. And so that's kind of how it works is it, it shortens that time frame. Instead of this 10-year write-off, we have a one-year write-off immediately. So we can kind of talk about how that pertains to real estate. Why do they do that? And how does it impact our economy in a positive way? Because obviously the tax code is written to kind of incentivize people to do things a certain way. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So there's two reasons why the IRS or, or legislators would choose to adopt something like bonus depreciation. Again, it's a stimulus because the interesting thing is if people aren't spending money, if they just start you know, grasping and holding and clinging on to things and become hoarders, so to speak, what happens is our GDP goes down. So our gross domestic product reduces because we don't need to produce as much. People aren't consuming as much. So we have to keep consumerism flowing. So in 2017, when this Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was passed and continuing through COVID, you know, one of the biggest issues is if people stop buying, if they start saving like crazy and you know they're not spending money. You know, we were called back probably five, six years ago, we saw a little bit of a downturn in in that activity, people buying things. And so there are two reasons why that becomes an incentive that's positive for the economy. One is because as you are buying goods, that money is stirring up, it's driving the economy, right? We're buying things that are being produced. There's taxes that are also paid throughout that. And so that goes with anything. We're right now, we're incentivized 
to buy private jets. We're incentivized if you buy a vehicle for business purposes, not personally. We're incentivized, same things like uh, actually for personal vehicles, if you buy an electric vehicle, there's a great tax credit to help actually pay for a portion of that because we want to try to get people to do the things we want them to do. Same thing with uh, giving you a deduction if you have kids because it's incentivizing you to have kids because we have to grow our population or else we're in trouble. How do we grow our economy if we're not growing all of those things? So that's what the incentives are there for is to encourage people to go and actually invest in physical goods. And, And really quick, the second reason, particularly with real estate, is that this also incentivizes improvements. So if you have infrastructure, back to the question that Michael asked, if you have a property that's depreciating over 27 and a half years, you do nothing to it. You you literally just leave it in horrible condition. You're making no improvements. That is hurting the economy. It's hurting infrastructure. So the current state of infrastructure is also a major concern. So if we can incentivize property owners to one, buy property and to improve those and better those properties, it's better for everybody. It reduces energy usage because they're more energy efficient. It keeps our infrastructure in a positive, upgoing, you know, good condition scenario. So all of these things that are driven in the tax code are ultimately trying to encourage people to, to take actions that the government wants us to take to keep our economy strong. Does that mean that improvements to the property affect your taxable income in some way? Is it a form of depreciation or how does that factor into the whole, what you just said? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so as we're talking about your question, why do we depreciate this, this house for 27 and a half years? Well, every time you add something to it, that now increases our basis. So our basis is what we paid, right? We, we bought the building for $500,000. That's our basis. When we go in and we do a renovation and maybe we spend $150,000 to do some improvements on that property, that $150,000 is now new basis. Now you have more basis in the property because you've invested that much. So now you have a basis of 500 plus 150 improvements. That leaves us at 650,000, right? But that starts to depreciate on the date that you added those new improvements. So typically with someone who's owning property or real estate and holding it long-term, what's happening is that the depreciation is very, very cyclical. It's going round and round and round. We're depreciating the house that we originally bought over 27 and a half years. 10 years later, we do improvements for 150,000. So that starts the new 27 and a half year cycle and so on and so forth. So it becomes this kind of circular aspect of depreciation which the improvements are always reinflating or reinfusing. Got it. So is there any kind of a strategy that makes the most sense as far as timing goes with this or because it's carry forward, does it really matter? Can you talk mm-hmm. about that a bit? Yeah. So there have been some changes. One of the biggest changes with bonus depreciation, which we just touched on as of last year, you cannot claim bonus depreciation retroactively. So what that means is if you're going to claim bonus depreciation, you have to do it on the tax return for the year that you bought that property. So if you bought it in 2021, you need to do your analysis and claim the depreciation on the 2021 tax return in order to claim the bonus depreciation. So that's significant because otherwise you can't claim bonus. You can still accelerate some of the assets, but you don't get this big lump sum we see on the bonus side of it. 
because of how those rules are changing. So that's one reason that it makes sense to look at a property as soon as you actually buy it, as soon as you close on that and that's a new asset. The second reason is that when you own real estate, particularly if you're planning improvements, we see so many investors buy property with a plan to then improve or renovate or upgrade those properties, especially in, in residential housing or multifamily. That's a really common scenario. So looking at the property immediately upon say, purchase is ideal so that you can outline all of those things that are essentially acquired on the date of purchase. And then as improvements are being made, you can add those new things. You can also take the old things out. So it's, it's as if we want to identify everything on site as inventory and make sure that we're outlining that. So ideally, as soon as you buy a property, it's nice to kind of put that foundation in place. No, no pun intended. <laughs> From the standpoint of having that inventory breakdown of everything that you acquired. Do you feel like you're stuck with your multifamily syndication business? Have you tried various different things and uh, and it just kind of petered out? You know, it's not your fault because it's really hard to do this on your own. If you want to work one-on-one -on -one with a full-time syndicator, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor because that mentor is going to help you do your first deal much faster and they're going to help you avoid some of the pitfalls and the big mistakes you can make in the business. So if that describes you, check out our mentoring program. In fact, we guarantee that you'll do your first deal in the first year. It's the only program that we know of that does that. And we'd love to have a conversation with you. So go to themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor, fill out a short form, and then we'll have a conversation. Looking forward to it. Yeah, depreciation is a magical thing. So when an investor invests in one of our deals or another syndication, for example, and they invest, let's say, $100,000, and we send them $10,000 in distributions, you know, mm -hmm. they have income and then all of a sudden they have a $50,000 taxable loss on their K-1. And because of this bonus depreciation, because we can write off so much in that first year and then that carries forward. So now they have a $50,000 uh, taxable loss. Next year they make another 10000 and it eats into that. Now they only have a $40,000 loss and they're not yeah. paying any, any capital gains on this thing. It's magical, right? But what do you have to do or what do we have to do, the operator? What do we have to do so that we collectively can take advantage of this form of accelerated depreciation? Yeah, I mean, really the foundational part of outlining all those assets and accelerating depreciation is utilizing the cost segregation study. So cost segregation, I think, is becoming more mainstream and there's much more information out there in education about that concept. But cost segregation is really applying an analysis to a building so that instead of just simply looking at the building as an asset, we're looking at 10,000 different assets. You just paid $500,000 for this house. You can choose to, to take your standard deduction, which we described. That would be our $400,000 divided by 27 and a half years. Standard deduction, super easy. Your, your CPA can drop that on the tax return and call it good. But with the cost segregation, you're really choosing to say, hey, I want to itemize my deductions. It's exactly the same as when you file your personal tax return and say, do I want to go through the extra work to itemize? It's going to take me a little extra time and I have to pull my receipts and make sure I've got all this documentation to support it. But if I do, if I itemize that, I'll probably have a larger write-off. And that's what the cost segregation study does. It creates the itemized breakdown of assets for that home where we're seeing, look, we didn't just buy a house. 
We bought appliances and counters and countertops and carpeting and windows and roofing and some bushes outside and a sprinkler system and all these different things. And that is really where we're able to pull things out of sort of just that house designation and begin to take advantage of the bonus depreciation rules. Yeah, that's that's great. I, and we definitely take advantage of the, the cost segregation studies. But a question on that. So there's a lot of companies out there that do this. What should you look for in a company that does these kind of studies? How do you go about doing that? Yeah, no, that's that's a good question. So, you know, in the industry, I, I've been in this industry, I'm an accountant by education, but have always really been in real estate. So in the last 28 years, my whole career has been real estate specific tax strategy and structuring. And so it's interesting because cost segregation, I think a lot of people don't realize that there really is no quote unquote standard cost segregation. There's not something specific that the IRS says, this is what a cost segregation study is. So if you go out and you purchase or use a provider to do that, you're going, this is this the deliverable. So, you know, who use who you want. Each group that provides a lot of these analysis, you know, it's not always apples to apples. We have some small local companies, maybe a guy who says, hey, I can do this. It's really reasonable. He's going to come in, do something real quick, do it for, you know, I don't know, $2,000 and then give you a two page you know, document and say, here you go, give this to your CPA. And that's a cost segregation study. But on the flip side, then you've got groups like, I mean, I'm with engineered tax services. We've done this for 20 something years. And as an engineering firm, we're coming in, we may be a little more expensive, but your final report is 150 pages long. And you do have all of the detail, all of the asset breakdowns. And so the most important thing, there are some scenarios where maybe it doesn't make sense and you don't need all of the detail. We'll see that sometimes with a really small property something really simple and you don't plan on doing any improvements or nothing major, no major renovations or anything, then it might make sense to do really pared down, simplified analysis. But if you have a property that is complex enough that it's got a lot of different components to it and you're planning to do renovations, the detail, you're kind of cutting off your nose to spite your face a little bit. If you chintz on the detail up front. Because as I had mentioned, when you're doing improvements, having the detailed assets, having literally a list of every light fixture, every wall plate cover, every window, the doors, the roof, every single piece is just tremendous because now every time you do an improvement and you replace something, you're able to go back to that that detailed cost seg study, identify that particular component that you've replaced, and you take a write-off for it. So it has value. If you're throwing it away at some point before this 27 and a half year cycle, you can write that off as a loss, but that's only if you have that documentation, the detail of what you originally paid for that. And a lot of people, you know, if you go buy a rental property, do you know how much were the cabinets? I bought a $500,000 rental property. I wonder what I paid for those cabinets. Typically, we don't know that, right? And we don't know what we paid for the roof out of that $500,000. And so that's what that cost seg study is doing. And that's really where understanding the deliverable, I would implore your listeners that if you're looking at deploying a cost segregation study, 
ask for a copy of a redacted study and compare them. Look at two studies side by side and understand exactly what is this final sort of finished product that I'm getting in the end. What am I actually paying for? Is this a two-page summary or is this a hundred-page detailed asset listing? Because there's a vast difference from one to the other. So that, that leads me to another question here. I mean, there's an expense here to do this. And, you know, what is kind of the smallest kind of property that people should consider this for? Because when we do it, and you've done one for some of our deals as well, but, you know, ours are multi-million dollar deals. At what point, what's the, what's the smallest size where you think it's, it starts making sense to do a cost segregation? That is the question of the hour. <laughs> so it's been really interesting. We have seen a huge shift with cost segregation and, and where that gets applied. There are still companies that will say, look, we have a million dollar basis threshold. If the property is less than a million dollars, it's small enough that we don't want to deal with it. But that's what we used to say probably eight, nine, 10 years ago. Then the 100% bonus depreciation rules came up. And now all of a sudden, if we're reclassifying, just let's call it 30% of the value of the property, again, we'll use our $500,000 home, we take an amount for land that leaves us $400,000 to depreciate. If we're reclassifying 30% of that, what that's $120,000 we're going to write off immediately in the first year. So that's a huge lump sum. So now because of bonus depreciation and some significant changes to technology and automation, we're able to do virtual site visits without physically going on site. You take a large lump sum benefit right up front, and we can still do a full analysis. So now, because of all of that, we are doing rental properties that people are buying for $100,000, $125,000, $150,000, Condominiums are buying you know, up at Tahoe or around. We're still doing small properties and seeing significant benefit. So to answer that question, almost any property is a good fit. It tends to make sense now. But the caveat is how much taxable income does that particular investor have and what is the percentage of tax they pay? So it's really more looking at how much they can use and what the ultimate cash savings is. All right, so help us with an ROI on that. So, so it sounds like it's not so much the property itself. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be as little as $100,000. It's more around the tax situation. And everyone's situation is is different, of course. But if I'm trying to sit there, I'm just like, hmm, should I call up Heidi to do a cost seg that costs me thousands of dollars? Like, what is your a counsel on helping people calculate or at least understand the ROI of making that decision? Yeah. So we can take some very, very basic information and provide a cost benefit analysis that spells out and calculates all of that out uh, upfront. So first, what is the price? Secondly, what are we estimating the benefit is going to be? I mean, using the same, same scenario that we're using just because it's easy. Again, we've got $500,000. $400,000 is our depreciation amount. So if we're reclassifying 30%, which means 30% are assets that are not structural. These are five or seven or 15 year things. They qualify for bonus depreciation. So if we're going to write off $120,000 on this $500,000 purchase, it's interesting because we said, okay, we put $100,000 down. We leveraged $400,000. Year one, we have $120,000 deduction. So that now we want to calculate out by someone's tax rate. Now, if we're in Florida, we've got no state tax and they make 
$150,000 a year, maybe they're paying 28% in taxes. Okay. So for $120,000 of depreciation, that would save them $33,000 in taxes. And the cost is probably going to be $1,500 or $1,700 or something like that to save $33,000. But if we take that same scenario, let's, let's use a California investor or someone in New York who's got a really high federal and state tax liability, and they're making $450,000 a year. So they're in a top tax bracket. In California, they could be paying almost 50% tax. They could be paying very, re very realistically 47, 48% tax. So if we call that 48% tax, that would be a $67,000 tax savings. So the cash benefit on the same property with the same cost seg for a California investor at a 47% tax is saving $67,000. And in the same scenario for a Florida taxpayer in a low tax bracket because of their income level is saving 33,000. So see what I mean? It's we're, we actually want to evaluate and understand the scenario of that particular investor and how much they're going to owe and at what rate. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. Now, the, the thing is, though, can everyone apply that taxable loss against their earned income uh, or is there a consideration there? Is, you know, what what does that really mean for, for people if they go out and buy a uh, apartment or, or, or a townhouse? Yeah. So as we start to get a little bit more complicated, so- I don't get too at, complicated, but just, you know. Yeah. yeah. So we, we look at what's the utilization, you know, how much income do we have and what is the percentage of taxes that we're paying? Then the second question is, are there limitations that exist? And the limitations are based on what is active, what is passive. So if you are a real estate professional, now- just to draw the line, everybody always thinks, oh, I need to go get my real estate license. If I have a real estate license and I'm a broker, I'm now a real estate professional. And that actually is for tax purposes has no bearing on it. Actually, you don't need your real estate license. It's based on how many hours and how active you are in the business of real estate for yourself. Is that your primary source of income and over 50% of your time, your, your business working time, is spent on real estate related activities, that would mean that you would in, in effect be qualified as a real estate professional. And if you are, or if your spouse is, any income that you generate would be offset by the depreciation. It all becomes your day-to-day -day activity. On the flip side, if you are a physician and you get paid a W-2 or a salary and you're investing as a limited partner with Michael, you are probably not a real estate professional. You are likely a passive investor. So that does not offset your income or your wage from being a physician. It's only going to offset income, other income that's coming from any of your investments. That's the other thing is it's not just that property. It's any investments that you might be in that are spinning out some gains. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And if you don't use those uh, losses, you can carry forward to them. So they they may not uh, they may not save you money this particular year, but they will yeah. over the life of the of the project. So that's uh that's really cool. So this has been great, uh, Heidi. I think I think they're like the key takeaways. Everyone should take advantage of of bonus depreciation. I've heard that bonus depreciation is is starting to phase out a little bit. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what time frame it's phasing out and what it's phasing out to? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yes, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act bill passed this 100% bonus depreciation. So we're kind of like, we're saying, look, 
you know, this is like cost segregation on steroids because you buy property and it's a, it's a huge, huge tax benefit. So that continues through the end of this year. Then beginning January of 2023, it's going to start to taper off a little bit. So beginning next year, the bonus depreciation drops to 80%. And then the following year, it drops to 60%. Now, historically, we've had bonus depreciation for many years. We've had it at 50%, at 75%, at 100 you know, kind of all over the map. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which made it 100% bonus, was just the, the biggest change was because it applied to used property, not just something new. So that is still going to stand. It's just going to be at a, at a shorter amount. We would anticipate that that will be changed and extended going forward. So that typically has bipartisan support, but it also tends to look at the state of the economy. How are things going? How are people spending? How is infrastructure being cared for? And you know, are people you know, improving buildings and is there enough incentive out there to do so? That will really determine if we're going to see that continue to extend out past the next couple of years. It's going out for the next five years at that 80, 60, and then tapering from there. So we're good for a couple of years, and then we'll see what happens. Take advantage now while we still can, guys. That's a fantastic benefit. Even if it goes away, yeah. we still have depreciation, which is still better than almost any other investment uh, as well. And we're still going to use cost seg for that. Heidi, how can people find out more about this and connect with you? Please connect with me. My direct line is always available. My phone number is 801-564-4464. You can look me up on LinkedIn, Heidi Henderson at Engineered Tax Services. So I love LinkedIn and the messaging actually works pretty good. And my email address as well. You can always contact me directly at hhenderson at engineeredtaxservices.com. It's terribly long. But again, if you look on LinkedIn, you'll be able to find me there. It's been great. Thanks for catching us up on uh, depreciation and tax laws. So thanks again for being on the show. Absolutely. Happy to be here. So good to see you again. You know, sometimes we don't realize how uh, how a unique situation we have in real estate in the U.S. I remember when I spoke at Dubai a long time ago. I th- so cool to speak in Dubai, right? And I'm talking about real estate and cash flow and all this crap. And it's like people looking at me like with this, this kind of, you know, glassy-eyed. And, and I, I didn't understand why the audience really wasn't resonating with me. I was very excited about this thing. And they're like, Michael, I think you're a little off base. I was like, what are you talking about? I said, I don't think this exists in the world except maybe in yours. I was like, what are you talking about? I said, you know, look, the way we reinvest in real estate is we buy a flat in London and we hold it for 20 years and it goes up, okay? There's no cash flow. There's no tax incentives. I don't know what you're talking about. And so it occurred to me that the real estate that we have in the US market is super unique. It's unique because we can find something that cash flows after the debt is paid and the expenses are paid. And then on top of that, we get tax incentives. And so the major tool for that is depreciation at the high end, and we can accelerate that and write off more with cost segregation. So it it's literally has to be in your toolkit. Yeah, it's one of the biggest benefits about real estate is so you have appreciation, cash flow, and then cost segregation, so tax incentives. Those are the three main drivers of every investment in real estate that, and, and in different forms. So in multifamily, we like that risk profile the best, obviously. That's why we stuck with it because you have multiple families that live on your site, multiple people that live on your site. On the operational side, the risk profile is really, really good as well. So it's really a unique investment vehicle. And uh, it's something that you, know, you add this piece in that not everybody knows about. 
and you're just set up for success. And one of the things I love that that we were able to talk about is that the size of the property. I always wondered this, like, so you have to do the cost segregation study, but when does it make sense to not do it? And she's like, well, really, because of 100% bonus depreciation, it doesn't really matter the size right now because of the benefits that you pick up. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it was different last time we had on a show a long time ago, and it was a little bit different. But the cool thing about it is if you set up a call with her, she'll give you the the analysis and she looks at your actually your, a little bit more of your tax situation, which is really cool. And you can make a better decision that way. It's pretty unusual. So if you're an active investor, definitely work this into your deal. It costs several thousand dollars. She'll let you know how much it costs. Just work it into your underwriting as a closing cost or closing expense and just make it work. And then the good news is that you as a GP get the benefit of that as well as your investors as well. And if you're a passive investor, man, this is it's magical. I mean, it is a stock market does not give you this. Gold does not give you this because you got to pay capital gains tax on these things. So it's it's really cool. So if you're interested in investing outside the stock market in something like real estate, we'd love to have a conversation with you. If you're totally new to this, uh, we have a, a, a report for you called, What's the Better Investment, Stocks or Real Estate? You probably already know the answer, but we kind of show you the differences between the two and what some of the pros and cons are. And that's at themichaelblank.com forward slash report. If you're already ready, like, Michael, you know, how do I get involved? If you're ready to invest with us, have a conversation with uh, with us at Nighthawk Equity, which is our investing firm. Firm. You can find us at nighthawkequity.com. Just click the join button. You can schedule a call with us and we can share with you some of our upcoming opportunities. So hopefully you guys take advantage of these, of these amazing tax incentives that the government provides us. And uh, hopefully you can use that for your own investing. And with that, catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.